0: This is a Media Lab podcast. Oh, Dave, that is grotesque.
1: Uh what are you, what are you talking about?
0: The the, the mask that you're wearing is, is is disgusting.
1: Am I am I wearing a mask? I I'm just holding what what are you talking about, Kyle?
0: I Oh. Oh. You're holding a mirror. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films The Machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This This is is Kyle and Dave Dave versus versus The machine. Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle.
1: And my name is Dave. And I'm the Machine.
0: A podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. For whatever reason, the machine is so intensely focused on the films of 1999. So today, we're going to be watching the film Eyes Wide Shut. Look.
1: Women don't. They basically just don't think like that.
2: Millions of years of evolution, right? Men have to stick it in every place they can, but for women, women it is just about security and commitment and uh, whatever the fuck else.
1: A little oversimplified, Alice, but yes, something like that.
2: If you men only knew.
1: I'll tell you what I do know is you got a little stone tonight you've been trying to pick a fight with me and now you're trying
0: make me jealous
2: you've never been jealous about me have you
0: no i haven't
2: and why haven't you ever been jealous about me
0: well i don't know alice maybe because you're my wife and i know you would never be unfaithful to
1: me
2: you are very very sure of yourself aren't you
1: no i'm sure of you Do you think that's funny?
0: I mean, in a way, Dave, I, I don't know whether we should be wearing masks, if we should both be nude while watching this. Uh, You're not nude? Oh. I, I mean, I,
1: Bottom <laughs> down. That's the thing about Zoom.
0: Yeah, I guess I can't tell. You're just Donald Ducking it over there. Okay. I, I think where we need to start with this, Dave, is first, what is your relationship with Stanley Kubrick broadly? And then what is your relationship with this film specifically?
1: Well, me and Stanley, we, uh, we love the Donald Duck. It's one of the <laughs> things that...
0: <laughs> That's an image I never wanted to have in my head.
1: I you know, just hanging out on the couch, uh, bottomless. Kubrick is, I don't know, everybody's got a relationship with him or his work. Whether it's inadvertent, I would call it inadvertently, not intentionally. Uh, I have loved or hated... Uh, But certainly had an opinion about basically every movie he's ever made that I have contact with. That's like me and your opinions.
0: I mean, I'm sure there's going to be the exceptions out there. I never come away from a Kubrick film feeling not strongly one way or the other. Like, it's (laughs) not if. Feeling calm. (laughs) Right. It's like, it's not like, well, I guess it was a movie, or it's like, I feel nothing about this. It's either like, okay, I have very strong positive or very strong negative reactions to that.
1: Often both. But, um,. Yeah, I, I, I think the first one I had, uh, I didn't know it was a Kubrick phone, but I loved Spartacus. I just li- loved the... Uh,
0: by the way, I, I should just let you it. know, uh, I am Spartacus.
2: No, I'm Spartacus.
1: Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, Full Metal Jacket. And, uh, and I think I came back around to Clockwork Orange uh, mm-hmm. just because of how offensive It is in its existence. The Shining i watched later because I'm not a big fan of horror films, but uh, fuck, that's a crazy good movie. I think
0: shout out to one of my absolutely all time favorite movies, which is Dr. Strangelove. Right. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that movie and I think it's kind of sometimes not talked about as much as I'd like it to be.
1: I didn't even know that was a Kubrick film. I watched it for uh, Clouseau and I think it's a weird movie. Oh yeah. But as I see how it places and who made it, it's supposed (laughs) to be weird as fuck because... Kubrick don't do normal, man. He likes to build molds. I don't think he even breaks molds. I think he just builds molds. He's
0: just a very unique perspective on things. I think he was never all that interested in even like preserving a specific style. You know, the way that Tarantino does where it's like, okay, this is very obviously a Tarantino film just by the color palette. Like Kubrick was uh, always... plagiarism.
1: Oh, sorry. Well, I
0: I I mean, Kubrick was interested in different forms different styles different subject matters like he just kind of bounced all over the place it is still fascinating to me that him and spielberg were such good friends because i can't think of two different filmmakers in many ways where i think spielberg sometimes to his uh, fault gets too preoccupied with what the audience is going to think yet at the same time i think that's the exact opposite of kubrick i think sometimes he doesn't preoccupy himself enough with what the audience is going to think he kind of just does his own thing and kind of screw everyone else. He's just gonna do this very singular thing that he wants to do.
1: Particularly that core group coming through like let's say forties through the eighties, that there's a community of filmmakers, whether they're big commercial sort of right. Hollywood guys, whatever. And they um, have a community. And again, whether they like each other, I have no idea. But, you know, learning about this bet with Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and, and then reading up a little bit on Kubrick about his relationship in comparison to Hitchcock and Tarantino mm-hmm. and Scorsese. And I think... I don't know what's going on now. I mean, I'm trying to imagine if Rob Reiner's high-fiving fucking David O'Russell. I mean, you know, I, I have no right, idea right, right. Yeah. what the world is like today. I mean, the fact that Sidney Pollock is like, I don't know. The whole thing is fascinating.
0: Well, actually, we should uncover that there's actually two directors that are that make kind of small cameos in this movie. If we watched it, I we haven't actually watched it right. yet. So who yeah, knows? Sorry. Just yeah, reading we... the IMDb cast list, you might know that there's some actors that are in this. What you just said is actually very interesting, and I don't know enough to make a grand claim although i'd love someone to do a research on that because i think my f- i feel there's a feeling that i have that yeah there's like 90s to early 2000s there isn't doesn't seem to be that paling around that you see with like coppola lucas spielberg uh, uh there's someone else yeah, forget, but and- and- that are kind of all in that kind of camp whereas like now like there's up-and-coming directors as i feel are like glomming on because you have like you know, uh, Greta Gerwig and um, her husband that I just blanked on his name.
1: <laughs> you know, uh, the guy. Yeah, the, the guy, guy.
0: Uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole a He's bunch not of these
1: Donald Ducking, by the way. That's why we don't know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Wes Anderson, et cetera, like they all kind of seem to like work with each other and want to collaborate and stuff like that, that uh, just didn't happen for whatever reason for that generation. Anyways, getting back to this film specifically, do you remember at all Like the buzz that was coming around, Eyes Wide Shut. Because I actually vividly remember the talk about this film back in
1: 1999. Yeah, I I mean, I I didn't see it. The more we talk about having not seen it yet, the more I think that I have never seen it. Does that that still make sense, right? Sure. I do remember though, like, yeah, as this is coming out. And again, I I was like, I love movies, but I'm not a film nerd. So I didn't research who, you know, so I know nominally who Stanley Kubrick is. Uh, obviously everybody knows who tom cruise and nicole kidman Mm -hmm. are this movie is uh, coming out on the promotional thing and all i know about it is sex cults and masks right and that's it and so i was not particularly interested in giving anybody i mean here's the thing it was like six bucks then so that says something it wasn't you know 40 i think mulan is 40 bucks to stream you know fuck you disney
0: i think i can wait till december (laughs) to to stream it if i want to there's that element of it of like this the subject matter of the movie which like not in a million years would my parents have taken me to see this they're not going to rent this for me no because it's like just based off the subject matter but i was reading i was actually subscribed i don't know if i've ever admitted this on the show yet but i was subscribed to entertainment weekly magazine for a few years through the end of high school and into university yeah there's
1: just nothing not that it's
0: like uh Kahir du cinema or something like that from France. It's not like not like the epitome of film writing by any chance by any imagination, but it was like inform me on the fact that Stanley Kubrick is a big important figure. He has just passed away. He didn't get a chance to fully finish this film necessarily the way that he wanted to. He hasn't made a film in 12 years. Like this is his like kind of come come back into Hollywood. Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman are like these two huge stars that are married currently. They're starring in this thing. So there was all these elements coming. And, and I distinctly remember it being pretty polarizing when the film came out as far as the reaction to it. But this was all me from the sidelines. Like I didn't, I hadn't seen it. I didn't know anything about it really other than like base level plot descriptions. So uh, it was just like, Oh, okay. I know of it. And then it, you know, over the years, I've just have never had a chance to actually sit down and watch it yet. And I think, I, I really do think that the subject matter has prevented me from jumping into this. It's not like something that's like, oh, I have to watch this movie. I'm like something else that is on my list of shame from Stanley Kubrick, which is I've never seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I consider, oh like, I'm a just film press, fan. I'm just
1: pressing stop now. I'm just going to press stop now. How the fuck are we making a movie podcast, I don't know. Kyle? I right. can. not
0: I can I can quote "Thus spake Zarathustra." The the music that, <laughs> that plays yeah, in it, but that's about Nietzsche. it. Yeah,
1: I would I, I would say, uh thus spoke Zarathustra."
0: Oh, is that how you I'm say a, it? Whenever.
1: Yeah, I'm a loser.
2: I was always more of a Sartre fan.
0: I
1: will say that it is long. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, it is a two hour and forty minute long film.
1: Oh, I was talking about two thousand and one. Oh, Odyssey. well, yeah, it's and like
0: three hours. Yeah. When you
1: see it, we'll talk about what you think about it. But like we We're- talked about.
0: We're all monkeys, Dave.
1: Well, that's a dangerous thing to say these days, Kyle. Mm -hmm. You may have ruined us on the PC content. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking the other day that it'd be great if we could sit down together, Donald ducking it, and watch a sex cult movie. So, um, yeah, let's
0: do it. Let's just do it. All right. I'm ready. Let me go and thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking about Eyes Wide Shut. Hey everyone, just Kyle breaking into the episode one more time to tell you about some of the sponsors that help make this show continue to go. I just want to point out the fact that both myself and Dave got through this entire episode without making a single joke about the mask wearing and eyes wide shut, and the mask wearing of our current situation. So, truthfully, who are the real heroes? Listen, Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown. Community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kylan Davis of the Machine is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Gazoski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is also brought to you by CPA Alberta. CPA Alberta represents more than 29,000 CPAs, also known as Chartered Professional Accountants, across the province. CPAs are more than number crunchers who love Excel spreadsheets. They are business leaders, finance experts, trusted advisors, and entrepreneurs. They work in many different industries, from film to fashion, from government to oil and gas. Long story short, CPAs didn't just break the mold, they made their own. CPAs can help you spark your next big idea, pivot during difficult times, start your new business off on the right foot, and so much more. For an inside look at how Alberta CPAs are supporting their clients through the pandemic, follow CPA Alberta on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. You can also visit cpaalberta.ca to find out more. You know what, Dave? Sometimes I think that in life, we're always wearing masks. Ever did, ever did you ever think about that that we're just like always wearing masks? It's,
1: it's pretty de- I feel like we need to be smoking some pot. That's Yeah. Should
0: probably write like a that's thesis out on there, this. Man. <laughs> um so non-spoilery, what are your what are your initial thoughts on Eyes Wide Shut?
1: Maybe I'll just take it through an experiential timeline. For the first 30 minutes, I didn't want to keep watching this movie. By the 168th minute, I thought, uh, <laughs> uh, right. uh, I'm glad I worked through it. And uh, I, if we had hypothetically watched this on our own at night, uh, I pretty much had some type of low-grade PTSD where I couldn't sleep. Uh, Because my brain was doing fucking backflips, trying to figure out what I had just sat through. Uh, But like since we just watched it, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. It's going to be okay.
0: (laughs) I mean, the one thing I will agree with you on is I also was having a kind of negative reaction to this movie for the first 20, 30 minutes. I thought people were acting weird and they were speaking in this weird like semi-code. And I was like, what is going on? I, again, it's all part of the experience, and I I do understand ultimately what the point of it is. In many ways, did you at all watch the movie that just got dropped on video on demand called Bloodshot, starring Vin Diesel? Here, this no, past like few no, months ago, no, it's not a good movie. But <laughs> I'm going to I'm going I'm going to spoil Bloodshot. So I'm just
1: I'm just watching you dig deeper into your shit. So Entertainment Weekly,
0: yeah, and now Bloodshot. Bloodshot. I watched Bloodshot. That's right. so, by the way, I've made time. To not watch 2001 A Space Odyssey, <laughs> yet spent $20 watching Bloodshot. So, anyways. I
2: don't understand why you were the thing that you are.
0: Uh, I watched Bloodshot starring Vin Diesel. And spoiler t- for that movie. It is an awful, horrendously bad B-level movie for the first 20 minutes. And then they pull a twist on you to show you that that was the point. Because it's all in his head. And he's enacting a bad movie Acting. B-level and if the if the dismount and the rest of the movie had been like phenomenal, I would have been like, this is amazing. This is one of the best movies of all time. Unfortunately, you have to sit through a bad movie that is still a bad movie afterwards. But if there's like that's a cool twist,
1: they, they did not stick the landing.
0: This is the reverse of that, which is that you kind of get through that and then you can kind of get sucked into this movie that is all about for me, at least tone and feeling and this feeling kind of lost. Uh, part of me started to feel wistful i don't know if you ever did this dave i love visiting cities and i'm thinking mostly of like new york uh, austin texas was like this when i was there i just like walking the streets at night that sounded bad i like <laughs> i like walking around the city just like no walking around pretty
1: no late
0: late at night and just kind of like dipping into like a bar, seeing what's going on, and then walking down and going into this place. And I just don't know, it gives me this weird feeling of the city and this cool feeling that I'm kind of seeing something that I'm not and that a lot, most people don't get to see. Uh, I Again, I did that a lot in like San Francisco too, uh, which has one of my greatest memories where I heard like distant uh, blues music playing. And I wound my way and found myself in this place that only allowed like 30 people standing room only. And had like the best blues band I've ever seen in my life because the guy was 80 years old strumming like a ukulele and I was like what is going on that's basically what Tom Cruise does this entire movie he just like walks around meets these weirdos gets sucked into like this conspiracy but even the conspiracy doesn't really matter like that's not what the point of this movie is it's all about that feeling until we ultimately get to the real point of the movie which I won't reveal until spoilers but I ended up just being so into the experience But I kind of just kind of forgot and started stopped caring about what the plot was. And it's like, I want to see where this goes and where this ultimately leads me. By the end of it, kind of, well, I was glad of having gone on the experience. I ended up like loving this movie straight up. I really love this movie. Uh, and if we had been talking before we started recording, which we never do, but if we had started talking really about imagine. this movie beforehand,
1: yeah, uh, I know
0: that you have mentioned that you probably don't want to revisit this movie ever. And I really do, because I think there's going to be more stuff that's revealed to me, having just knowing now what the ultimate thing is, that I can stop worrying about, like, well, what's going on? And but is this person doing this thing? And just kind of let it washed over me here again
2: that's essentially what your last four relationships have been like as well
0: that's a lot to throw at you but
1: yeah i i I, like one joke is just thinking about you walking the streets and asking strangers if they want to have a good time you know i the one thing more seriously is i didn't Watch this thinking Tom Cruise a character was doing this in a benign fashion. I think this was more psychologically like a Sorry, yeah, the Heart I, of yeah, Darkness I, thing. I mean, he's. I
0: think you're right. I, I guess I shouldn't have phrased it that way necessarily. As a viewer, that's where it felt like he was taking me on this journey, but I think. Uh, this is He's another movie I, this is another movie that we keep coming back to this i don't i and i don't think this is necessarily a 1999 thing i think it's still pervasive in many ways but it's like that fragile masculinity right like he is so upset by his wife just mentioning that she might have fantasized about a guy
1: well, let's, a year ago let like let that's, me stop basically, you there. that's basically L- that's basically
0: the impetus of this whole movie that He freaks out because yes. of that
1: yes and I, and i'm not going to argue that and i think that's I don't know if this is a spoiler, but that's, you know, the central, well, well yeah, it's a central theme of mm-hmm. sort of the motivations of the characters, but uh, it wasn't casually mentioned. And this is the sure, hardest okay, part yeah. of getting through the first 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. is uh, her telling like that story. About. Yeah. And the dialogue up to that point, like you said, it's not just uh, in a code. I mean, it is, but it's not just that part. It's awkward. Everything is so surreal and antagonistic. Like,
0: I th- That's a great way to use it. Like, everything seems like it's a fight or the anger or uh and and as the movie goes through i feel like everyone is like overtly sexual in like weird ways even it's like even like the alan cumming character who's just like a desk clerk for like five minutes of the movie probably not even that long it's like boy like this is dripping in like sexual tension yeah and again intentionally but it's just like it, it does give you that weird sense the entire movie that everything is overtly sexualized even benign encounters
1: yeah, I mean, we we already mentioned we don't know Stanley uh, personally, other than- Besides you know, the Donald fasc- Ducking as you yeah, sit uh, and watch movies. Yeah, fascination with Donald Ducking. Um, this is a core theme for Stanley, which is that, yeah, this psychology that we are not what American values project we're supposed to be. We are not happy, <laughs> we are not loving, and we are not kind at our core. And uh, I think all of his movies, whatever the genres are, are attempts, not even attempts, successful shots at peeling all of that away and showing both the worst case scenario, the baseness, the gore, the the violence, and then some type of redemption, whether we agree. I think that's might might be where the tension in in watching his movies are, is whether you fall in line with Feeling like he did resolve your crisis, mm-hmm. your personal crisis of faith while watching the movie, or if you leave there feeling hollow like he's completely you know gut shot at you, punched you in your Donald Duck nuts, or like just you know thrown shit in your face, and you don't know how to deal with it as an individual um and I think when I leave a movie of his where I'm either detached from the scenario or I feel like it was resolved to my own cynical uh, understanding of human nature then I'm like, oh this was this is great. But this movie is, yeah, it's quite jarring, especially, uh, you know, being married, having a kid. Mm -hmm. It's a very weird thing to uh, experience.
2: I agree. Kids, in general, are a weird experience.
0: Well, let's do some background information before we jump into talking about this more, because I think... There's a lot to unpack for this movie. It's going to be 30
1: minutes, Kyle. We haven't even got there. This is great. This is going to be a four-hour episode.
0: Buckle up, folks. (laughs) Buckle up, folks. Okay, so Eyes Wide Shut was released on July 16th, 1999. The only other movie of note that was released on the same day was Lake Placid, directed by Steve Miner, written by David E. Kelly, starring Bill Pullman, Bridget Fonda, and Oliver Platt.
1: That's the giant crocodile giant
0: crocodile yes perfect
1: why do i even there's know a that lot
0: that of giant is. crocodile movies i just realized it's like that's a gross and, yeah
1: yeah they're so gross
0: so this is where it gets hard because this is not showing us a snapshot of what people thought in 1999 but what people in the year 2020 think it is currently rated 7.4 on imdb 68 on metacritic And over on Rotten Tomatoes, based on 156 critics, it's at 75%. And then 192,615 users have it rated at 73%. So it's a certified fresh movie. I'm actually the most surprised at that user rating for this movie, to be perfectly frank.
1: As in it's too low?
0: No, I think it's way higher than I was anticipating most users to rate this movie. Anyways, it is available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can buy or rent it on iTunes. You can also rent it on Google Play or YouTube. And in Canada, we should be sponsored by them. You can stream it via the Stars app.
1: Honestly, Stars, show me the money, man. really. When's Jerry Maguire that's not 99? it (laughs) It was a
0: few years before this. This is also the other surprising thing. Its budget was $65 million. It opened to 21 million. Domestically, it made 55. Internationally, it made another 106. So it brought in $162 million or $253 million with inflation. This was a hit. Like this made money. Uh, Again, somewhat surprising for the length and subject matter, but maybe Tom Cruise and Nicole Kim were just a poll back in 1999 to bring people
1: out. Think about the story, too. I mean, Kubrick's dead. We know that this is his last film in Europe and in the world uh, where they might appreciate raw films Mm -hmm. and uh, less popcorn shit. I mean, this is exciting stuff, man. Yeah, it is. Sex cults. Who doesn't want to watch a sex cult?
0: (laughs) Who indeed. Its plot description from IMDb is, a New York City doctor embarks on a harrowing night-long odyssey of sexual and moral discovery after his wife reveals a painful secret to him. It stars Tom Cruise as Dr. William Harford, Nicole Kidman as Alice Harford, Julianne Davis as Mandy, and Sidney Pollack as Victor Ziegler. Uh, anything you want to say about those actors? I think we've kind of mentioned them all already.
1: Just a comment on the way you, and this is probably because you're a theater nerd, but the way that you spoke the synopsis and described the characters, it sounds like a play. I don't know why. It's just there's something about the tone. I think this movie kind of sets up in a, you in a fraction. You could make this a play if you really yeah. wanted to, I think. Yeah. yeah. But, but the requirement would be that the audience would all have to come in and Donald Duck it. I mean, otherwise, <laughs> you wouldn't be <laughs> Why in even character. hold the the play
0: in the first <laughs> place at that point?
1: We should just name this episode Donald Duck because... Uh, yeah, really. We, I'm I'm way off topic here.
0: It was written by Stanley Kubrick and Frederick Raphael based on the novel Trom Novelle by Arthur Schnitzler. Which, by the way, if you read this, read up on this, that original novel published in like n- the 1920s is literally the exact same plot. Save for like one small thing, but literally it's the exact same plot. The other writer, though, the co-writer, Frederick Raphael, he worked extensively mostly in the 60s and 70s. Uh, this was his first and only collaboration with Kubrick. Uh, and he only wrote one more thing after this, a TV movie called Coast to Coast in 2003. So this, this is honestly, I couldn't tell if it was Italian television or British television. Uh, nothing that that matters, but it's like nothing even rang sort of a bell besides this movie in his entire like history of credits.
1: Without doing any research, I wonder to, you know, like this, this Hollywood thing about what entitles you to a writing credit. Mm -hmm. Everything I read about Stanley Kubrick is that he likely wrote, this movie <laughs> yeah and maybe this I like added something that by union rules had to be he included had to be included yeah yeah because uh you know maybe he like did some typefacing he told him to italicize something and he's like well so, yeah, send well, me a check you yeah. know. rules
0: yeah.
2: that's how i have a writing credit on cabin boy
0: of course this is directed by stanley krubrick we've talked about him already in this episode just talking about his last few films this is the order they came out in the Killing, Paths of Glory, Spartacus, Lolita, Dr. Strangelove, 2001, A Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket. So That's even kind of just those strange. last six, you know, Dr. Strangelove, 2001, Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket. It's like, I, I don't know how else you talk about them, whether you love them or hate them. There is no way to disregard Stanley Kubrick's influence in any of those genres, both like the horror genre for The Shining, kind of the science fiction Stuff of two thousand one, the satire and war uh, movie of Doctor Strangelove, and I, I, I literally don't know where to go from that. Uh, that entire list of credits, people graduating film school right now would like sell their soul to be able to say, "Oh, these were my last five films." You know what I mean?
1: They would. Uh, they would murder you. Yeah,
0: I, and I think again, I think this goes back to what we were discussing before, where he kind of just did his thing and then influenced everybody else afterwards because it's not like 2001 was something that like every space uh, movie was doing at that time. It was literally this huge gigantic thing that he just wanted to do. Uh, Clockwork Orange was this weird, odd, like super violent, hyper-masculine thing that again, inspired a bunch of films afterwards. The Shining, like as much as Stephen King hates that movie. I mean, it, influence was what people think about what The Shining is and then I have my own thing with Full Metal Jacket but I uh I've grown to kind of love that movie too
1: yeah first half is great I think um the brief sort of history with Stanley Kuber. he's one of these guys uh which we'll never know the truth though but one of these guys with that story of uh so smart he was bad at school type of thing high IQ apparently made some money uh, winning chess games in Central Park so (laughs) uh, yeah this is a guy that there's something very uh, intentional something very uh, pragmatic and strategic about everything he seems to touch and uh, reading briefly about even him coming to filmmaking how he self-funded and privately funded some of his documentaries and short films this guy just had an idea that he would build and he just built it just and i, I, like I think i have
0: mentioned it on this show before but he was working on another film while he passed away with this which was AI which eventually Spielberg would make and uh, I have gone on record I think the first two hours and 10 minutes are five out of five like one of my favorite movies and then it kind of biffs it in the last 20 but I love that film up until that point and I like jumping back into it every so often so this is his unique very idiosyncratic look at life I guess
1: so you'll watch Haley Joel Osment but you won't watch 2001 Space Odyssey what no. What are we talking about again? I, no. All right, let's move on.
0: <laughs> okay, I think one of the things about this movie, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, why it's so hard to talk about, I think, is I think there's three different elements that really need to be broken down, which is the straight up the text, like what is actually happening in the movie, the subtext, like what is trying to be communicated based on the actions of what the characters are doing. And I think there's also the metatextual stuff, which I know you hate talking about, but I can't not think about it, which is the fact that this is a movie starring Nicole Kidman, Tom Cruise, while they were still married. And I think that this adds this other extra element to this that would not be there had this been just like random actor or actress brought together for this movie. So let's start with just the text. Nicole Kidman you know, admits to this like torrid, Um, imagination she has for the sailor that she saw and the hotel that they stayed at the the summer before and how she thought about him romantically and like basically very detailed about like the positions and what she wanted him to do to her and this sends the Tom Cruise character just down this dark hole where when he's called out to this, to see a patient the daughter of the patient that has just passed away forces herself on him, professes her love and I really think that that freaks him out and he continually goes and tries to find a release i think get back at his wife like that's what it feels like to me he's trying to find a relationship that he can get back at her which sucks him into like the sex cult which sees like this uh weird like conspiracy that's going on uh he has a relationship with a prostitute like there's all these runs into this weird thing with a costume shop owner and his daughter that is kind of left unsaid about what is exactly she's going on there. not his daughter.
1: Yeah, she's a prostitute. Yeah. But before that, I mean, I, I think what's very intentional, other than, and this is the part of the 30 minutes that's quite jarring, that Nicole Kidman is essentially naked for the first 30 minutes. Yes.
2: I think that Sidney Pollack should have been completely nude as well.
1: Is that there is an intentional projection, this great Gatsby-like illusion, and this shot in this hazy thing about what Americans would consider the perfect life ballrooms rich people yeah. champagne you know beautiful women hitting on him and he's he's like he's above it you know mm-hmm. i'm a i'm a doctor to these millionaire trillionaires and you know these two models clearly just want to jump on my lap but i'm you know i'm i'm good like like he's so i mean we use the word benign but i think it's intentional but it's hard to understand until the end of the movie that that is a plot device rather than a weird <laughs> Entry because mm-hmm. yeah, even then the dialogue feels so choppy and so weird because uh, you go from them getting ready. Later, it makes more sense, but she's sitting there at, at first, like almost posing naked, and then all of a sudden she's on the toilet, and then yeah. you're at this ball, and she somehow is just blackout drunk with some creepy old man, and then you're like, what? Like, I just sat there, like almost grasping my hair, like, like what, what the is, fuck going on? is going on yep. here? And so when she gets to her revelation allegedly uh smoking some reefer as they used to call it
0: yeah i like i don't know this is such a 90s thing about like how pot is used in films like i don't know that's really what pot is like not that i'm like a big druggie but it's like i don't i don't think that's how it works but whatever that's that's the, the plot device that this movie has decided to use
1: yeah uh and it might be because it was written in the 1920s, but uh, they were doing right, some yeah, different yeah. drugs in the 1920s too. But I think, and maybe this is the context of being married, it was jarring how antagonistic she was. And I mean, there is definitely- Well, not Ellen, to let like,
0: him off the hook either, I have to say. Like, well, yes, yes she, she's being antagonistic 100%, but like, they're both kind of, I don't know, one well, of those things like being angry with each other without just like being angry with each other. Like there's like weird threats and like subtext going on. And it's like, whoa, like this is something I don't want to be a part of.
1: And we would use now the word privilege, which is that he is a a wealthy, good-looking, successful doctor with a beautiful wife, a child. And so he feels like the world makes sense. And Mm -hmm. so how could anyone challenge his sort of crystal ball? Yeah. And so his character... I think, in reflection, has this very naive and privileged position at the beginning. You know, they do these intentional shots where he's at his uh, doctor's office, both with an unnecessarily naked model, where he's feeling her breasts, but he clearly has no sexual sort of uh, connection with them. And then, like old people, like so, they give you the full pantheon of his day, and it seems very, very cold. But then, yeah, the moment she reveals this torrid sexual fantasy that she had, and that's that whole scene was. Very hard to watch,
0: yeah, I, I think that that is the key to this. it's It is a fantasy that she shares with him, yes, and I think it is there because and he states this in that scene, but I think it's there to try and make him jealous. So whether yeah. this even happened or not, I have no idea. No. Uh, and I think again, beside the point, but she's trying to make him jealous, and that literally
1: it breaks ruins the glass his right? in,
0: yeah, it breaks the glass and he is doesn't know how to handle it. and then right. That's the rest of the plot of the movie of him trying to make sense of the world. And it increasingly becomes clear the world doesn't make sense.
2: The world would make complete sense if you let me blow it up.
1: I just hit this meta meta thing because you want to go meta with their relationship. But how much this is a peril of what's going on with American culture right now. (laughs) And how, you know, the sort of patriarchal white dominant elitist capitalist people just had their glass broken and how they are now in a descent to hell. Because they don't know how to deal with the fact that their world perception was incorrect. You know, he makes the big thing like, oh, I don't feel anything for these women. These women feel nothing for me. I'm literally just a Mm -hmm. a functioning doctor and this is my role. And then the next scene is this insanely lustful but distraught woman who tries to lick his face. And you're like, that is quite jarring too because where does that come from except-
0: the, the more we're talking about this, the more I realize that this movie is actually mostly to do with class, like the oh, where, yeah. where you fit in the, in the spectrum, because one of the criticisms I was going to bring up, and now I don't know if it is a criticism, is like, this is a very privileged movie. This is about rich people having rich people problems, which it still is, like it still is. But this is not someone who is like the top 1%. Like the top 1% are the people in that sex cult that he eventually stumbles upon yes. who can make people disappear who can make things happen and just do what we say or else the same thing is going to happen to you. So, you know, he's achieved that American dream and he's given a tiny peek behind the curtain. And it's like, this isn't for you. Well, and they, and the, what you thought, how the world worked isn't how it works. And we get to actually pull the strings.
1: They do that quick gut shot, which is that they knew he was wrong because he arrived in a cab, right? So here's right. this multimillion yes. dollar earning private doctor. But he's and subservient. And we would sell
0: ourselves by being in a cab, right? Yeah. He's
1: subservient. You're like nothing. Even in the in the conclusion with Sidney Pollock, it's like you're nothing. You're, mm-hmm. It's not worth that. I can't believe you pushed it this far because, you know, you're a piece of shit. Just just let right. it go. Get back to your little life as <laughs> as a doctor uh, yeah. in this like Manhattan loft. Just just move on. It's um, uh, it's mental.
0: And the reason I guess why I I frame this as being him trying to get back at his wife in some way because it, it does feel like he's. He's hit on by that woman, which makes him go do the walk around. And that's when he first meets up with the the prostitute. And they don't really do anything. In fact, I should say that what is fascinating about this movie is that Tom Cruise doesn't have sex once in this movie. I this- about, and again, part of the point, which I'm going to get to here in a moment, I think that actually leads us into the subtext here in a moment.
2: Oh, my favorite type of text.
0: Like he's trying, I think, to get back at her by doing the typical male fantasy but he keeps finding himself like this isn't no like this doesn't feel correct or at least getting interrupted and being snapping him out of his himself
1: yeah i think that's that's the thing is that it shows i think in the end what i liked about this is it's contrasting or putting into focus these little lines right like it's not just couples but human beings when they encounter other people that they're sexually or physically attracted to There's a psychological or like maybe a physiological thing. There's a psychological thing where we create stories. And then there's this action. And then even in the action, there are these little barriers, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, you can't just go out and be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to have sex with somebody that I meet next on the street. It's like, it's a very elaborate social construct. And like Mm -hmm. Kubrick's like very well aware of that. So you (laughs) think that the first moment he meets this prostitute, that he's going to make this quote unquote mistake. And that the, that's where the movie's going, but that is 100%. not. That's what exactly happens, what I right? thought
0: the movie's going to be. I'm like, oh, that's whatever. It like, got, like, got a oh, lot weirder, but <laughs> it got way weirder. <laughs> I, I think that leads us into the subtext because this movie is filled to the brim with naked women and temptation and and the female body. So I want to start there because it, that will also lead to a criticism I actually have of the movie itself. I do not understand how this movie is rated R. Like, I don't get how it does not have an NC-17 rating with the amount of full frontal nudity for as long as it is on screen for.
1: I I don't know what the guidelines are, but I do know that we saw more penis in Fight Club than we did in this. Right.
2: I'm seeing more penis right now.
1: In research, it turns out that they had to bring it, they had to do digital editing to bring it down to an R. So it definitely was an NC 17 movie or worse, X rated maybe by design. But for marketability to actually sell this and have a wide release, they had to edit it. They definitely. straddled the line pun sort of not even a pun but like literally straddled some stuff here
0: mm-hmm. because i mean while he's walking around that like the sex cult mansion oh, yeah, like it is, pornography. it is it is softcore pornography that we were watching which by the way is the moment that my roommate came home while i was watching that bit and i'm like oh well hi
1: here's like by the time the sex cult stuff started happening i started to think i don't know if this is a realization cuz i don't know if i can uh, say that this is true i began to think that The lead into this movie is to desensitize you so that by the time the sex cult thing happened and towards the end of the movie, there's a numbness. It's not even particularly arousing, let's say, if you're a heterosexual male to be around so many naked women. It's like by the point you get to the cadaver, it's just, I I don't know, you get numb because I think his point was that lust is this, um, I mean, it's not just a sin, but it's like it's visual and it's very uh, short-winded. You know, you can't just sit there watching, uh, you know, two two hours and forty-eight minutes of naked women and still be aroused by it. And I think yeah. that's a, a meta statement about this idea of affairs. There's this excitement with people that you know that cheat on people or have uh, you know sexual sort of conquests. But there's a reason as well why it's a bit short-lived because that excitement disappears very quickly. And I like that's the right- thing
0: about it. It's like even though there is those naked bodies on screen, I definitely think there's some titillation to happen in there. But I don't find it to be all that erotic after a while. Where it's no, just like it's this is grotesque. Kind of, it's gr- grotesque, gratuitous. Yeah. I I will say this. This is kind of that criticism I was about to say. I I know that the argument back would be. You know, this is kind of being seen through the Tom Cruise character. So it's a lot of, like, this female imagery. But And we start with, like, Nicole Kidman also being naked in this movie. And I think this is a 2020 uh, interpretation. I do not think I would think of thought of this in 1999. I feel that there should be equal opportunities then in this case. There should be naked men in this movie. I don't... if, If Nicole Kidman is asked to be fully nude in this movie... I do not see why Tom Cruise could not have been asked to do the same thing.
1: I wonder, I mean, this is probably not true, but it would be fascinating that if the quote unquote director's cut, if that's what had to be cut out for it to Hmm. be R. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but judging by Kubrick's, I mean, not fact, I I don't know that this is possible, but judging by Kubrick's work, I don't think that he is somebody that uh, stays in that zone who thinks that to sell a movie, you need to sexualize a woman. I suspect, and I'm probably wrong about this, that uh, the scenes that they cut out, judging by what was left in, was probably just penises and naked men. Because Hollywood's got a huge problem with that.
0: Well, it is. And then, like, talking about X-rated, like, as soon as there is an erect penis, that is an automatic X-rated. Yeah, you're not allowed
1: to put it in the theater. Dicks be gross. For better or for worse. But you can, you can have a TV movie, you know, on a family primetime hour where a woman is 75% and naked, miming on orgasm with a man who's under a sheet like it's it the yeah. uh yeah we if we go down that route we'll just get upset
0: but basically i just want i just want a, a hashtag free the dongs i just want <laughs> just let I them thi- out i mean I, a, out. a part of this is yes maybe there's some of my sexuality being bled into this point of view no, i just feel that if you are going to have so much female nudity in the majority or not the majority but <laughs> in so many different american films i don't see why men shouldn't be asked to do the same
1: Well, it's changing a little bit. It is. Uh, You know, at least with Ewan and and Michael Fassbender, who apparently have very long penises. But I think, you know, in general, that's been a very big hill to climb. We don't want to be too revisionist. I mean, due to social inequality, it was men who were initially in the 40s, 50s paying to watch movies. It was men who are making films for other men. So it's like, you know, there is a quote unquote reason why those standards were so skewed for so long. But certainly uh, we hope that either uh, there's a lot more penis or they just cut back on this idea that women should be depicted as being objects of pornographic sort of imagery and they can just, you know, be human beings. Can you imagine like watching a movie, like watching a superhero movie where a woman doesn't have to in a, oh, in a I thought you were video. like,
0: well, can't we watch a superhero movie and then see a penis? Like, come on. We can do yeah, well, we that. I
1: mean, I'm watching The Boys and I'm watching yeah. uh, some, I mean, we're getting there. Uh, never mind penis, <laughs> but it's just fucking grotesque and hard to watch. But, yeah, you yeah. know, they, we are trying to challenge some of those norms. But
0: here's really what plays into the subtext, which is the final line of this movie. I'm sorry to mom, but Nicole came in saying to her husband, we need to fuck. And I really think that that's what the movie is about, is their inability to actually have intimacy and open communication. Um, And that's really what's driving him. He's seeking that and doesn't know how to talk to his wife, hides what he's been doing that one night, and it really just comes down to them having to actually, you know, commit to each other again, have have that loving act. Because even at the beginning where they are, like, enwrapped with each other and she looks weirdly into the mirror, I think that is to kind of hopefully... This is my own interpretation, I should point out. Her kind of points to the audience, like, there's some impotency here. Like, we're not actually having sex right now. We're trying to, but it's not actually happening.
1: I have a, the opposite cynical interpretation, which is that I don't think this movie is a romance. And I don't think they make it after that.
0: Well, that's the other thing. That's the meta textual. It seems like they broke up two years after this movie came out.
1: Well, yeah, I don't know the timeline, but yeah, the idea that after all of this, and I interpreted at the beginning that they are having sex, but they're, like you kind of bring up, they're not necessarily in love, whatever that means. I mean, that's a very dangerous line to to draw too, but it seems fairly obvious by the way this movie uh, collapses, like the story collapses in on itself, that they, like you said, they don't know each other at all at this point. And whether you should know to those depths every thought process that everybody has. I mean, that's a whole other ethical and psychological debate. But by the end, I left, and this may be why I have this PTSD feeling, although I don't want to overuse that term because that obviously has uh, different uh, connotations. But I left this movie thinking, how could that be the solution? (laughs) They've They've both almost destroyed themselves chasing the... Concept this privileged concept of pleasure and entitlement to sex by deciding that they just need to fuck each other one more time. That's mental, but it is also, I think, meant to be a reflection of the world in which this exists. That you know, it's an addict mentality that you can fix the problem by adding more of the same problem. You know, the best way to solve the fact that we both are seeking sex with other people is to have more sex with each other. That's that's like a very strange. Thing and it's not unrealistic. I think it's what's so jarring about what walking away from this movie. I I think after everything they went through, trying to pantomime being a relationship, I mean, yeah, like thinking about you know, in front of the kid having had this breakdown, realizing at at that point in the movie that's only been two two days, I think. Two days, I think it feels like a year, it feels so much longer. So much going on.
0: The vast majority of this movie, probably.
1: Happens at least an
0: hour and 50 minutes of this two and a half hour long movie is that one night, like, yeah, it's it's, they spend a lot of time in that one night.
1: It's almost like to the minute of how it's being experienced, in a sense, it feels like that, like you're really into it. A little drawback for me is that this doesn't feel 99, this feels, I mean, he's 70 something, but it the the way New York's characterized feels very 1970s to me, Mm. and then I couldn't get over the red, green. A color palette of this movie it just felt i know it's intentional and i know there are so many implications yeah, of the color oversaturating
0: red. it like oh my god to an nth degree
1: except for the one part i think with the cadaver where everything just suddenly turns into this washed out blue dead bodies can be beautiful i don't normally get so into color grading but this one was so jarring and, and it's clear from his past work that he just loves using color in this way to incite emotional attachment to the work but i was getting very overwhelmed with everything that was going on and then all of a sudden you get this like blood red fucking shag carpet somewhere or this like you know heavy right. christmasy green wallpaper with ornate shit i'm just like well, oh I my mean, god tired yeah,
0: and, and i think this is to, to bring this up again super political but this is a problem with a lot of I find white filmmakers from that time period who like came through the fifties, sixties, seventies. This takes place in New York. I have to go scene by scene. I don't know how many black people are actually shown in this movie. None. Yeah. You except for mean? the uh
1: except for the uh, morgue employee who right, advertised our- no direct eye contact. So it's, right. But, but it's it's scary. Like,
0: how you shoot a movie in New York City without any non white people is like crazy to me.
1: He gets uh, bullied by a gang of white I fucking know. frat boys, like, <laughs> like on the streets on. of, yeah. Uh,
0: and then the other thing, again, I don't know if this is because he didn't have a chance to like finish off the editing and stuff like that. There's one shot that bugs the heck out of me, which is very near the end. And it opens with his mask showing up on his pillow beside Nicole Kidman. And then he comes in, walks around, and then walks into the room and sees the mask. He's like, oh, I don't know why they showed the mask first. That's supposed to be a reveal. I don't know why they showed it first as an establishing shot, and then go and see him walk through. It seems so counterintuitive to me. Anyways, that's such a nitpick.
1: Yeah, Stanley Kubrick. You hack. You hack. So
0: 1999 versus now. Do you have any idea what you would have thought if you had actually seen this movie in 1999? Can you try and put yourself back in your shoes 21 Uh, years ago?
1: So the context I wouldn't get, even though, uh, yeah, would be the experience of being married and with Helen for 20 years wouldn't have been there so the subtext of what a marriage is like and how even this like crazy psychotic breakdown reveal of Nicole Kidman's to start the descent mm-hmm. into madness those those pieces wouldn't have fit for me personally in a broader 1999 world yeah like the rampant nudity what's the uh, the excessive nudity, right. um, would be difficult to, uh, digest really. And I think what I'm seeing now, this sort of desensitization of it, because you know, when I'm 21, that's a very virile, high pornographic consumption, very like high energy thing. I think at the beginning, it would have been very difficult to sit through, uh, just from a pornographic sense. I'm seeing Nicole Kidman naked. I'm seeing full frontal nudity, by the end, I think I'd just been so worn out and just kind of distraught because this movie just twists that shit and makes it so severe and and uh, violent. It's
0: it's the trouble with satire and metaphor in many ways, where if you're just not at the right age or it's not something that you can identify with, it's really right hard, context. I think, to lock in. And yes. I don't think I would have liked this movie at all had I watched it in 1999. I would have found it too weird, too off-putting, too bizarre on the flip side of things i I think we've discussed this very briefly i think weird movies have the largest chance of quote-unquote remaining relevant over time because you're not so tied to a time where it's like yeah it's just a weird it's a weird movie so it doesn't matter when you watch it it's not really of a place in time it's just (laughs) this guy experiencing this weird thing and you know, we can, can go with it. Yeah, And now I'm bringing a lot of my own baggage to this. And again, I'm looking for metaphors and the metatextual elements and the subtext that they're talking about, which is, again, why I want to rewatch this movie at some point just to see if it retains its power.
1: I think you can say the same thing about all his movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that, for example, Dr. Strangelove, what I would have liked about it when I saw it when I was, I don't know, 16 or 15 on VHS is how silly Peter Sellers is in it because he's mm-hmm. just a silly person.
0: There's but no fighting have- in the war room
1: i wouldn't i wouldn't have got the broader context of the anti-war message and just yeah. like the satire of of sort of the world war ii experience and the cold war and all that kind of stuff he stanley kubrick has that chess mindset where i think it's intentional and i think when he builds a movie he seems to be able to play to all generational concepts he knows that There needs to be a visual element that's going to be appealing to uh, the youth. There's got to be a philosophical and a psychological thing that will appeal to the older generation. Like Every one of his movies is packed with so many different layers uh, and so consistently that even at how old is he when he makes a 70, 72? You can tell, I think, retrospectively, that um, he builds this wanting this to be relevant 20 years from now, not to be a commercial success right now, even though he's also looking for commercial. I mean, he's casting Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Mm -hmm. So he wants to make money, but the design of it seems to be like, look, you know, just wait till you 19 year olds are fucking 42. And when you watch this again, you know, you're fucked because this is going to be, this is going to bust your head open. So
2: just like this podcast,
0: I'm curious if that'll happen too. like talking about filmmakers in their seventies, like Wolf of Wall Street, or Scorsese. First off, in both of these cases, I'm like, I can't believe a 70-year-old made this movie. Uh, but secondly, it's both of those movies I find people go to and grab a lot of the stuff from the textual elements of it and then, like, run with it without really looking at the deeper point that each filmmaker is trying to use. Like, this is a very deeply disturbing and, uh, I don't know, emotional work. And then Scorsese says he's like, this is not how you should be acting at all in any conceivable way. And yet no one really uses it that way. It's like, isn't it fun to have lots of money and take quaaludes? Anyways.
1: I mean, I don't know. That's not how I interpret Wolf of Wall Street, but I will say I can see how bro culture, particularly in the United States, the modern United States, uh, contemporary United States would lose lose it there and just Mm -hmm. stay at the skimming level uh, only as a judgmental thing about what we're seeing right now. Kind of like uh, I was alluding to earlier, this movie... I think actually all of his movies kind of peek at uh, what happens when the crystal ball, the sort of like pink, shiny cloud, the the rose-colored glasses break off and you have to Mm -hmm. face what you think you really are. And uh, America's going through that right now. And they've had 60 years of bro culture that, you know, chest bumping and all this shit. And they're starting to realize there's nothing underneath. And uh, they're about to hit the sex cult, Donald Trump style. And we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if there's I redemption.
0: Wait for that, I can't wait for that election in two and a half weeks when this oh, no, releases. They're going
1: to they're elect. I mean, we'll, yeah, they're going to elect Donald Trump again. But I think, uh, you know what? One of the key things for me too, like you brought up, that they, he didn't actually have sex with anybody. I mean, think about the miss when they bring up that the girl becomes HIV, uh, is testing HIV positive. Yeah. His single decision and the break of getting his wife to call him at that exact moment to pull him back for a second. And then he's about to have sex with a roommate, and then she pulls back. Like these are all intentional structures from the original book, which are fascinating to me. The opportunities are both rampant and difficult to oh, go through. Yeah, so.
0: almost like uh, different mor- like moral codes that would have been in like early nineteen twenties versus late nineties, and how they're still kind of <laughs> cobbled well, the together to make it. Uh, yeah,
1: well, a they, you look like at biblical texts; they've been around since the beginning of humankind. This, this
0: should have, this should have ended with a flood. If you know what I mean. You
1: know what? A flood of blood coming out mm-hmm. of an... You know,
2: yeah. We're done here.
0: Okay, so the, the machine has asked us to wrap this up. So I guess we've kind of maybe answered this, but do you still find this a relevant movie nowadays? Is this culturally relevant, I guess, is what I'm asking.
1: Yes. The caveat being, I don't think anyone under the age of 30 could sit through this or even get something out of it on a deeply moral or personal way and that's very very judgmental but i feel like
0: yeah i think they could still respect it i don't know artistically and visually but i don't know if they would really that's that's me projecting a lot too but I, i yeah i think i agree with you of really honing in on what this is talking about i think takes a little bit more time in your life
1: well that's the thing I I feel like visually it's antiquated. Like I said uh when yeah. I see the shots of New York I feel like I'm in the 1970s. It doesn't feel like 1999 to me. You know, watching Tom Cruise in stilts in one scene so he can be eye level with uh, yeah, Nicole Kidman in another scene he's like at somebody's shoulder. Those little things make this movie a little jarring because of the world we live in today where um you can have someone in a green motion capture suit suddenly become a polar bear. It's I don't know, right? Like, these things are evolving yeah. very quickly.
0: I guess so, yeah. I still, yeah. There's still a lot of stuff I love about this. By the way, that reminds me. Nicole Kidman is one of my favorite quotes of all time. Uh, after her breakup with Tom Cruise, and this is me paraphrasing, who knows if this is actually real. I just remember it being reported. The reporter asked her, now that she was divorced from Tom Cruise, like, what are you going to do now? And she was like, wear high heels. <laughs> I always thought that was so funny.
1: I do want to just... I mean, I i don't know. Do you think... Th- how do you think the acting was?
0: I think it's exactly what Stanley Kubrick wanted. Like, and, and that, that's hard. That's... And like, that's hard to get, gauge because do I... Would I award either Tom Cruise or Nicole Kidman with awards for this? No, I think it's just a bit too odd. I love Sydney Pollack, though. I love Sidney watching Ball him is. act. Sydney Pollack, like, f- well-known director, directed a bunch of great stuff. I love just watching him do prop work like the way that he like interacts with the balls because i yes. feel like a lesser actor and again Stanley cooper was probably in on this he was like stand here talk give this speech and he's like bouncing balls and like talking with the things glass and of
1: scotch the way doing can, the scotch. Yeah. Like, i yeah, just yeah.
0: love how he uses all the props i don't know i just love watching the, him
1: the suspenders as he's like yeah you know with the dying prostitute in his bathroom Like yeah he's he's fantastic in the movie yeah. I, uh, I just got overwhelmed by uh,
0: all the other stuff yeah. I think that Tom Cruise has put in better performances in other movies let's put it that way because I don't think he's a bad actor I'm not one of those people I think no, that famous. he does his Tom Cruise thing a lot in like the Mission Impossible and Top guns and that kind of stuff who knows want we'll, know the truth who knows if we'll watch Magnolia but I think that's some great acting that he does
1: don't give the machine any ideas I stopped
2: listening to you two twenty 20 minutes ago
0: I think that brings us to our ratings here of course anyone can go and take a look at our ratings uh, over on our Letterboxed page that's letterbox.com slash katie that'll be in the show notes too so you can go check that out if you'd like dave what would you rate this movie out of five
1: mm, that's a tough one
0: i have to tell you i was like a hundred percent convinced you were going to hate this movie so the fact that you had anything positive to say about it i was actually surprised by
1: well i think you know if we had turned it off at 30 minutes, so it would yeah. be zero. It was so hard to to stick in there. And no, I actually really like this movie. I, I think kind of like Boys Don't Cry, and we've talked about this idea of important movies that are difficult to watch again. I I think this movie is fantastic in how it deals with its subject matter. It, the only weird thing, of course, is that Kubrick needed to uh, depict such a weird sex cult to drive mm-hmm. uh, the madness and I won't watch it again uh because it's just fucking strange and hard hard to get through. Um And
0: I love strange movies. Make them weirder is what I say.
1: You did you did rent bloodshot. So I did
0: uh, rent bloodshot. That is true.
1: <laughs> I'm going to go with a, a 4. I I'm might even push a 4.5, but I think a 4 just because I think visually um it will be hard to get young people to watch this movie right now. Um yeah. If you yeah, if we're going to demographics, 40 plus is probably a five, but uh, I'm going to go with a four overall. Okay.
0: Like I've said, I really, really enjoyed this movie eventually. Yes, the first 20 minutes are some t- are pretty actually hard to get through, but when you lock into it, I think it gives you a lot of fruit. I have those quibbles with it um, and some things I didn't like. However, I am giving it a 4.5 out of five. Mm. I really, really liked it. That will... Uh, go to 4.25. I mean, we're going to be rounding down to a 4 in our in our overall list on Letterboxd. That being said, it is tied with two other films. And interestingly, both of those films, we both rated the exact same as this. So I gave those other two films 4.5 and you gave them 4. So the other two films are All About My Mother and Ghost Dog. Where do you feel we should place this?
1: I think above. I mean, yeah, it's it's better than those other two movies.
0: Well, I'm not going to fight you because I actually agree, Uh, which means that Eyes Wide Shut is going to be entering our list at the number six position. Let's see if it is able to hold out and be in our top 10 by the end of the year. Dave, we are, of course, in the month of October right now, the spooky month some might call it. Ooh. So I'm interested to see if the machine has uh, given us another dose of terror into our lives.
1: I thought that we're not doing spoilers, Kyle. I thought <laughs> we're not doing spoilers on this show.
0: No spoilers. So let's push I'm going to push this button and see what it wants us to watch next. Oh, well, it is, I guess, a horror film. We're going to be watching Sleepy Hollow, the Tim Burton hmm. film. Nice. I, Which, once again, I have not seen. What? So I know. It's such a weird thing of weird blocks of time where I just didn't see anything. But, mm. hey, Halloween is coming up. Let's watch some horror films. I'm sure we'll get to see some other scary movies as the weeks go on here.
1: I haven't watched the movie in a long time, but I will say, as I get older, I lose my interest in Tim Burton. So, we'll <laughs> see if I still like this movie or not.
0: Yeah, we'll see if Tim Burton still holds up for us or if he's too tim burtony you're gonna you're gonna keep that mirror or is that uh, is that up for grabs
1: well i just keep looking at myself and trying to i mean how do you keep your eyes like this
0: wide, wide and shut at the same sh- time
1: ah oh, am i doing it
0: am i doing it <laughs> you know what i can do i can just put like little toothpicks in there and keep your eyes open constantly wrong movie oh shit
2: I'm Spartacus.